Now, in recent weeks, we've been in that part of Paul's letter to the Ephesians that deals with relationships, the horizontal relationships. We thought about wives and their responsibility to their husbands and husbands to their wives. Last week, we were thinking about children, children obey your parents. And this week, we're thinking about parental responsibilities, particularly as the Apostle uh, lays that responsibility upon fathers. Uh, fathers do not exasperate your children. So before we get to that passage in Ephesians, we're going to read uh, from Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs has quite a lot to say about raising children. Proverbs 23 and from verse 12. Proverbs 23 and verse 12. Let's hear the word of God. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad. My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Listen, my son. And be wise. And keep your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Listen to your father who gave you life. And do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom, discipline and understanding. The father of a righteous man has great joy. He who has a wise son delights in him. May your father and mother be glad. May she who gave you birth. Rejoice. Let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. Just a few verses from Ephesians chapter 6. The first four verses. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Amen. We give thanks to God for his word. He heard your word read. The instruction to listen. To listen carefully. And Lord, we do so. It's part and parcel of our worship. Just listening. Listening to what your word says. What your word tells us. And not simply, Lord God, obeying as automatons. But obeying, O oh Lord, because you are our Father, we are your children. And we know that you love us and that you want the best for us. So, Heavenly Father, in that spirit, we now listen to your word preached and ask that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us in every way we go. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Well, you don't need me to tell you, children are expensive. I don't mean to buy, I mean to keep. From the very moment they're born, they create a black hole in your wallet. Why? Can somebody tell me why is it that children's clothes are more expensive than adults? Especially shoes. They're also much smaller, so you would think they would be cheaper. Uh, of course, education is free in this country, but that doesn't take into account all the extras. The music lessons, the dancing lessons, the horse riding lessons, membership fees, uniforms, costumes. And it doesn't stop when they get to 18, does it? There's the cost of perhaps putting them through university or buying their first car and insuring it. Putting down a deposit on their first home, contributing towards the wedding. Being a parent, being a good parent, is a costly business. 
and not just in terms of money. It's costly in terms of money, time, and effort. Your home will never, ever look like those dream homes you see in the Hello magazine. You'll be limited in how far up the corporate ladder you can climb. It will deprive you of the time you want to spend, maybe on the golf course or even just putting your feet up watching telly or reading a good book. It will also influence the kind of ministry that you can pursue. I was actually speaking to a young man this very week who told me that the reason why he and his partner don't have children yet is that he wants to travel first. And he fears that if they have their children now, he will resent this in the future that they prevented him from seeing the world. Children are expensive. Now, we're thinking about how being a Christian affects every aspect of our lives. And back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, we read the Apostle Paul urging us to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And in chapter 4, verse 17, he insists that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. He reminds us in chapter 5, verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So the question is, what difference does all this make to us as husbands and wives, as parents and children? Well, we've considered it. Wives are to submit to their husbands in the Lord. Husbands are to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's how wives and husbands live a life worthy of their Christian calling. And if you were here last week, we were thinking about how this particularly applies to children. Chapter 6, verse 1, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Children demonstrate that they are walking in the light of Christ by obeying their parents. So now we're going to turn to parents and to fathers in particular. The apostle says here, fathers do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now it seems to me that the very first thing we need to grasp in all this, before we go any further, is just how important the role of being a father is in the upbringing of a child. Not so long ago, it was fashionable to regard the only role that a man had in regard to children was in the conception, and that beyond that, the man was surplus to requirements. But I think that even our own secular society has gone beyond that, recognising the stupidity of such an idea. Because the problem was never just fathers. The problem was always bad fathers. And the link between absent fathers and delinquency amongst children, amongst teenagers, is a very well-established and researched fact now. Of course, it's not inevitable, but it is more likely that without a father, a child, a teenager, will go off the rails. Boys and girls need a male role model to balance and enhance the influence of their mother. It's not inevitable, but it is more likely. And as Christians, we also acknowledge another spiritual dimension to being a father. Because the living God has revealed himself to us as our father, hasn't he? He is, uh, in one sense, of course, the father of the human race. In the sense that he is our creator. The prophet Malachi says... In chapter 2, verse 10, have we not all one Father? Did not one God create us? So in that sense, as our creator, God is Father to all. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? That the Lord Jesus taught his disciples to address God in prayer as our Father in heaven. 
And the Christian, therefore, relates to God, the living God, as a child to father. God treats his people with the same love as a good father treats his children. It says in Psalm 103, verse 13, As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. God cares for us, provides for us, and even disciplines us as necessary, as a good father does. So friends, we must not think that this idea of God as our father is a human construct. That this is an idea that is helpful to those who have a good fathers, but really it's unhelpful to those who didn't have good fathers. Actually, it's a hindrance to their faith. You'll hear that often. It's not as if somebody looked at earthly fathers, maybe their own father, and came up with this great idea. Why don't we think about God as our father? That's not what happened. It's the other way around, actually. That the very concept of fatherhood is derived from the nature of God himself. We've actually seen this already in chapter 3, verse 14 of Ephesians, where Paul says, chapter 3, verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So we who are human fathers are to reflect the perfect fatherhood of God. Think about it this way, that we who are human fathers are the first picture of God that our children will see. They will learn what kind of father God is by observing what kind of father we are. And as a father, I find that daunting. I find that very daunting. So a man who works hard to provide for his family is sending a message to his children that God is a kind of father who will supply their needs. A man who takes time to listen to his children he is sending them a message that God is the kind of father who delights to hear his, his children's prayers. On the other hand, a man who abuses his children, who is demanding, selfish, who seldom praises his children, who never encourages his children, will lead them to conclude that God is a kind of cruel and twisted bully who does not deserve their worship. A weak and ineffective man who allows his children to walk all over him who never disciplines them, is actually sending a message to his children that God isn't a holy God, that God isn't one to be feared. When our children pray, Our Father who art in heaven, what image do they have in their mind? Because nobody influences that image more than their own father. So, when it comes to child rearing, the Bible places the primary responsibility on the father. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up with the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, it's not that mothers are excluded. Of course not. But it's simply this. That the father is the head of the household. And, to coin a phrase, the buck stops with him. The buck stops with the father. And isn't that a radical thing to say these days? Isn't that a radical, revolutionary? Because the prevailing attitude seems to be that if the man goes out to work in order to bring home the bacon, it's his wife's job to bring up the children. Think about this. That if the wife does have a job, what do we call her? A working mother. Have you ever heard anyone talk about a working father? We talk about a working mother, but not a working father. In our society, 
It seems to be it's been left to the mothers to bring up the children. But in the Bible it says, fathers, you've got the primary responsibility. What the Lord said about Abraham can be applied to all of us who are fathers. It's Genesis 18 verse 19. God says about Abraham, For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Fathers are to direct their children and their entire household to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. And this is the measure by which we stand or fall as fathers. It's not by how much we earn. It's not by how many toys we can buy our children. It's not by the fabulous holidays that we can take them on. It's not about the amount of wonderful experiences we can expose them to. We have to direct our children as a shepherd directs his flock in the way of the Lord. Or as the apostle says, we have to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So, the question before us tonight then is how do we do that? How do we do that? Now, I am not suggesting in any way that I personally have all the answers. And I also want you to bear in mind that I am preaching a sermon. I'm not giving a seminar on parenting. But I do want to make a few points. And it's always grounded, anchored in the scriptures. And that will prevent me from drifting off into the wide oceans. But we're looking at what the Bible says. What the Bible says. And the first point is that we must have a biblical view of our children. We must have a biblical view of our children. The Bible tells us that children are a blessing. Children are to be nurtured and cherished and valued. It says in Psalm 127 verse 3, Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. The nation of Israel was surrounded by pagan nations which actually practiced child sacrifice. But the law of God specifically forbade this. And think too about how the Lord Jesus was attractive to children. And how he used children to illustrate how central humility is in the kingdom of God. The Bible values children. At the same time, the Bible is not sentimental about children. That little bundle of joy that you're bringing home from the hospital is a sinner. A sinner. That sweet, adorable little lamb has a heart full of hate, full of envy, full of murder, full of pride. Now, every parent thinks their child is different, but she's not. He's not. Psalm 51 verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And since our children are sinners, their natural bent will be to rebel. And not just against us, rebel against us, but to rebel against the law of God. It was the author J.K. Chesterton who said that the doctrine of original sin is the only doctrine that can be proved from observation. Just think about that. We need to teach our children to share, don't we? You never have to teach them to grab. We need to teach them to tell the truth. You never have to teach them to tell lies. They never have to be taught how to make a mess. We have to teach them to tidy up. The doctrine of original sin is actually played out in front of our very eyes as we watch our children and our grandchildren growing up. So we must be willing to see children as they really are and not through rose-coloured spectacles. That's the first thing. We have to have a biblical view of our children. They are valued, but they are sinners. The second thing is 
we must recognize as adults, as parents, that we have authority over children. We have authority over our children. Children are told to obey their parents. The parents are in charge, not the other way around. And it is a God-given authority. And no matter what happens elsewhere, in Westminster or Holyrood, that is an authority that must not be surrendered to anybody else. We must not be frightened to exercise our God-given authority. Because actually, children need us to. They need us to exercise authority. Now, don't misunderstand me. Do not confuse authority with authoritarianism. I know some of you like your musicals, The Sound of Music, Captain Von Trapp, runs a tight ship at home, his children jumping to attention at the sound of his various nautical whistles. But what's going on behind his back? They're getting up to mischief, aren't they? That authority was based on fear, not on love. And that's why the apostle here says to fathers, do not exasperate your children. Or another way of putting it, do not provoke your children to anger. Children can be bullied. They can be manipulated into obeying their parents. But that will be a grudging obedience. They'll resent it. They'll resent it. And when they come of age, they'll rebel against us. So friends, our children must be convinced that we love them. And we love them not just when we're giving them treats, but even when we're punishing them, when we're chastising them. And it's done out of love. And as we keep coming back to, the model for everything we do must be Jesus. The Lord Jesus is our model for everything we do. He is our Lord. He is our master. He's the one who gives the commands. He expects us to obey. But what kind of king is he? He is a servant king. A servant king. He's the one who takes the towel and the basin of water and washes his disciples' feet. So the authority that we exercise over our children is our service to them. Our service to them. And you know fine well that it's not easy. It's exhausting. It's costly. And boy, oh boy, it's tempting to take the line of least resistance, isn't it? But that wouldn't be loving. That would not be for our children's good. Being a parent is humbling, isn't it? Our children never miss a trick to point out our failures. So they'll say something or do something that's mean or selfish and to our shame. It's a bit like watching a video of our own lives. And we have to be willing to apologize when we're in the wrong. I distinctly remember the first time my father apologized to me. He'd given me a row for something I hadn't done. And later on he called me into his room and he admitted that he'd misread the situation and he apologized to me. Now I know that was hard for him. But even as a child, he went up in my estimation. Be willing to apologize. Do not exasperate your children. Do not provoke them to anger. We have to be fair with our children. We have to listen to their side of the story. And we have to be consistent, don't we? We must never be capricious or unpredictable. That's how you create an exasperated child. Being capricious, being unpredictable. And we need to remember two friends. It's not our job to mold their characters. It's not even our job to impose our beliefs on them. It's not our job to make them Christians. That can only be done by the sovereign work of God through his Holy Spirit. But what does the Apostle say? We are to train 
We are to instruct. We are to direct. We are to shepherd our children. So that's the second thing that we need to bear in mind. And here's a third thing I think we need to think about. What are our goals for our children? What are our goals? Now, you all know the first question and answer of the Shorter Catechism. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. In other words, the purpose of life, the purpose of human existence is to glorify God. Well, do our children know that? Do our children know that? They need to know that they exist to glorify God and to enjoy him. To enjoy knowing him. Enjoy serving him. Now, of course, we have so many hopes and dreams for our children. We want them to grow up, to be well-adjusted adults. We want them to make a valuable contribution to society. We want them to be well-educated in order to acquire the skills to get the best job possible. And maybe we have certain ambitions for our children. To go on the stage. To play for Rangers. To win X Factor. To carry on the family business. Now, there's nothing wrong with these goals in and of themselves. But here's the problem. The problem comes when these goals become all-consuming. It's bad enough when we see young lives ruined by an over-ambitious parent, you know, pushing them into competitions or, or signing them up for a modelling agency or you even see it, you know, enrolling them in university even though they've got the <coughs> academic ability, they don't have the emotional uh, ability to cope with them. They're pushy parents. That's bad enough. But you know what I find profoundly sad is when we see Christians, Christian parents, buying into the world's definition of success and teaching their children to pursue what the world values rather than the glory of God. To, to paraphrase Jesus, what shall it profit your child should she gain the whole world but lose her soul? Friends, of all the things we should want for our children, Surely, we long and pray for the day when we will be able to embrace them as brothers, as sisters in Christ. Our desire is to see them stand before the living God and say, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. And this is what the book of Proverbs has in mind when it gives us advice about raising children. Uh, we read in that passage from Proverbs about spare the rod and spoil the child. And, and it's easy to uh, fall into the trap of thinking that that's all that Proverbs has to say about, about raising children. But let me just remind you what we read. In verse 19, Listen, my son, and be wise, and keep your heart on the right path. Or verse 22, Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Listen, says Proverbs. Listen. Now, here's the thing. If we are saying to our children, listen, that implies that we are talking. It implies that the father is talking. That the father is communicating with his children. And good communication is crucial. Communication, of course, is not a monologue. It's a dialogue. We can't expect our children to listen to us if we're not willing to listen to them. Just reading around this subject, uh, there's an American pastor, a counsellor called Ted Tripp. And he talks about this communicating with our children. And uh, he talks about communication being multifaceted. Uh, and he identifies eight layers of communication that we need to be involved in as we talk to our children. 
And I'm just going to share these with you. He says we need to be encouragers, first of all. Encouragers. And, and not just praising them when they do a half-decent job. But encourage them in the spiritual realm as well. Um, children feel their own moral failures as much as we do. And they need to be encouraged that in Christ there is forgiveness for them. As well as for, for us. Encourage them to confess their sins and be forgiven. Uh, and, and secondly, that we, we need to rebuke our children when they are in the wrong. And then correct them when they do what is right. Sometimes, uh, says Tetra, communication has to be, and he describes it as earnest or intense. Sometimes we find ourselves begging our children, pleading with our children, you know, when they're doing something that's breaking our hearts. Uh, we see them heading down that slippery slope of crime or addiction. And really all we can do is, is just beg them to turn away. And then there's instruction. That's a very important part of training our children. Because discipline isn't always just about punishing bad behavior. Discipline, instruction, that's about getting out of bed in the morning and getting out for school for nine o'clock. That's about using your knife and fork at the table. That's about saying please and thank you. It's about attending church whether we want to or not, whether we feel like it or not. There's that instruction, that discipline. These are disciplines which children must learn if they're going to be successful in society, in the big wide world. And of course, there's also warnings. Warnings play a big part in the way that we communicate to children. Because it's a big bad world out there, my word. And there's people out there who want to take advantage of us. And of course, nowadays, social media plays a big part in that. We need to warn our children about what dangers there are out there. And then there's also just going to be straightforward teaching. Teaching our children, uh, maybe um, in the kitchen, cooking and baking, uh, or with the car, in the garage. Passing on the knowledge that we have gained over the years. And of course, not forgetting to teach them the faith. And, and the last communication that Ted Tripp mentions is prayer itself. Prayer itself. And it's not just praying for our children, but praying with our children. They learn to pray from us. And listen to their prayers, and you will learn what's on their minds and what's bothering them, what's worrying them, what's important to them. Encouraging, rebuking, correcting, instructing, pleading, warning, teaching, and praying. And uh, Ted Tripp says this, communication not only disciplines, it also disciples. It also disciples, discipling our children. It shepherds your children in the ways of God. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but teach them and instruct them in the ways of the Lord. I'm going to give the last word, as I've done a few times, to Martin Lloyd-Jones. Now, he preached from Ephesians, I think it was 60 years ago he preached. And what he says about this verse still is remarkable in its wisdom, its balance, and its compassion. Listen to what he said 60 years ago. When the child comes, we must say to ourselves, we are the guardians and custodians of this soul. What a dread responsibility. 
In business and in professions, men are well aware of the great responsibility that rests on them and the decisions that they have to take. But are they aware of the infinitely greater responsibility they bear in respect to their own children? Do they give even the same amount of thought and attention and time even more? Does it weigh heavily upon them as the responsibility which they feel in other realms? The apostle urges us to regard this as the greatest business in life. The greatest matter which we ever have to handle and transact. Well, may the Lord enable those of us, whether we're fathers, mothers, grandparents, or just whatever children come within our responsibility, our orbit of responsibility, may the Lord enable us to use whatever contact and relationship that we have with children to be for his glory and their eternal good. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, as we bow before you, we do so humbly and with a profound sense of our own inadequacies. And Lord, where we have failed you, and where we have failed our children, we ask you to forgive us. But Lord God, we ask you to help us to live up to the expectation of Scripture and not to look upon children as a nuisance and not to look upon them either as perfect, but to see them as you see them. Valued, yes, but sinners in need of a saviour as well. And we do thank you, Lord God, that the gospel is simple enough to be understood by a child. We thank you for the model that the Lord Jesus gave us, he who welcomed children and whom children found attractive. Lord God, may we be like that, be like Jesus in that respect. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray that whatever contact we have with children, young or old, Lord, that you would enable us to be those who reflect that nature of Jesus and so to be a blessing to them. And we humbly ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.